looking at the roots of what Alzheimer's is all about. Part of this, it's about fructose. It's about glucose balance. It's about the way you're handling glucose, which is why so many of us are developing Alzheimer's because we are doing the wrong things when it comes to simple carbs. But interestingly, it's also about when you make this amyloid that collects in the brains, it's the hallmark of uh, Alzheimer's disease. This stuff is an antimicrobial. It is part of your innate immune system. So anything you do to trigger this, eating a lot of saturated fats, eating a lot of inflammatory carbs will increase your production of this amyloid. It's literally there to fight off. Your brain is deciding, uh-oh, I can't build. I got to protect. You, know, you, can, you can't put your resources into both building and protecting. It's one or the other. Dr. Dale Bredesen received his undergraduate degree from Caltech and his medical degree from Duke University. In 2013, he returned to UCLA as the director of the Easton Center for Alzheimer's Disease Research, and he is currently a professor. The Bredesen Laboratory studies the basic mechanisms underlying the neurodegenerative process and the translation of the knowledge into effective therapies for Alzheimer's disease. He has published over 230 papers and has written two New York Times bestselling books, The End of Alzheimer's, The first program to prevent and reverse cognitive decline and the end of Alzheimer's program. In today's episode, we are going to talk about what Alzheimer's is, how we can reverse and prevent it, and blood tests to look into what our odds of getting it are. So tune in, take notes, and keep your brain healthy. Hey, Dr. Dale, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Absolutely. So much good stuff going on. I'm really excited about this topic. And you're like the expert in the field on all things Alzheimer's and dementia. And I just, I mean, it's so scary, you know, and if there's a way for us to prevent it through lifestyle interventions and kind of understand where we are on that spectrum, I want my audience to know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an important thing. And by the way, I don't know if you saw, there's a documentary that just came out. It's going to be streaming November 15th called Memories for Life, Reversing Alzheimer's, narrated by Michael Buble. He did a great job and um, talking to, you know, some of the patients uh, about how well they did. So it's great. It's great to see them. But yeah, things are, things are getting much better. And to me, the most important thing that you can get out to your followers is that Alzheimer's is now optional. As strange as that sounds, all the things that have happened in the last 10 years have made it so that if everybody would simply get evaluated when they turn 40, or if they're already past 40, do it now, fine. Get a cognoscopy. That's easy to do. And by the way, it's much more pleasant than a colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody should know that if they're 40 or over, get a cognoscopy. It's some blood tests that unfortunately, as you know, most doctors are not doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an online cognitive assessment, which is pretty easy, takes about 30 minutes. And then if you're already having symptoms, you want to include an MRI with volumetrics. But if you're not, you don't need to do that. It's optional. So it's very easy. And then you can look to see where you stand. And we can see what things are driving your risk and we can address all of them. Uh, And for some people, as as you know, some people it's, they're eating a horrible diet. They've got leaky gut. They've got metabolic syndrome. They've got insulin resistance. They've got adipokines coming from their visceral fat. They've got liver damage, all those things. They are very common contributors to Alzheimer's disease. The research that we did over the years really showed us kind of under the hood what Alzheimer's is. People have talked about it as it's misfolded proteins, it's type 3 diabetes, it's prions, it's amyloid, it's tau. None of those things tells you what to do about it, and there hadn't been any success. What we found in our research is that it's quite different. This is a protective response that is related to two major insults, reduction in energetics. So all the things that, you know, you become insulin resistant, that you're at risk. Your blood flow goes down, you're at risk. If you have sleep apnea, your oxygenation goes down, you're at risk. Anything, if your mitochondrial function is not good, you're at risk. So energetics and then inflammation. So, and then inflammation, as you know, can come from oral microbiome changes, poor dentition, can come from chronic stress, 
can come from a leaky gut, can come from metabolic syndrome, can come from glycated proteins, can come from all sorts of pathogens. So as long as you kind of get that, you can actually see what to do about it and how to prevent it effectively in virtually everyone. And by the way, I just finished a paper we're submitting showing people who have sustained their improvement for over 10 years, which is completely unheard of. That you know, you take a drug, you may get a little bump, and then you go right back to declining. And in fact, they've been showing recently that you actually do worse in the long run on a drug than on nothing. So um, seeing when you do more of a precision medicine or a functional medicine type protocol, you improve and you know you stay improved. One of the interesting things we found in this study is many people would go along for several years and then they'll have a little re-decline. And then you look and see, okay, what's driving that? And as an example, we had a woman did absolutely great for six years. She had amyloid positive scan, APOE4 positive, clearly Alzheimer's. She'd actually been on a drug trial and it made her worse. So she started the protocol seven years ago. Six years did great. Her MOCA score went from 24 to perfect 30. She was doing great. And then she noticed something's wrong. Things were not so good again. And so interestingly, a reevaluation found she had new mycotoxin exposure that she was unaware of. She had severe sleep apnea that hadn't been appreciated earlier. And she turned out to interestingly to have sinusitis from Cryptococcus laurentii, which is a rare one, but that's what she had. When those three things were addressed, boom, right back up again, doing great once again. So uh, these are showing us that what we are doing with this sort of protocol is addressing what actually causes the cognitive decline of Alzheimer's disease. Well, we jumped right in and it's already so fascinating and you've dropped some knowledge bombs and you're dropping acronyms and words like MOCA that my audience is probably not aware of quite yet. So let's give them the 101 and we'll dive into the details on how to test for it because I want to keep all that juicy nugget, that pre-record in the record. So for people that don't know you, can you tell me a little bit about your background and then we'll dive into what is Alzheimer's, how do we diagnose this, what your protocol is and how it compares to traditional treatments and things like that. So, I mean, I'm a huge fan of you. I've listened to you on multiple podcasts and followed your work for a long time because I'm dear friends with Max Lugavere and you were on his show a few years ago, but you are, in my opinion, the all-time expert in the United States here when it comes to Alzheimer's disease and your ability to heal it in a functional way. So how did you find yourself in this position? Yeah, thank you, Kelly, for asking. I appreciate that. And definitely, you know, we we definitely have the best results of anyone in the world in terms of reversing. We were the first to, to show reversal of cognitive decline. So I came through a very classical background, graduated from Caltech, worked at MIT. I went to a medical school at Duke. Uh, did my neurology residency at UC San Francisco, uh, was the chief resident there, and then was on the faculty there, and then in faculty at UCLA, and then down at the Burnham Institute, and then I was founding president of the Buck Institute. So I went through classical kind of academic career, and I had come, I, I worked for two different Nobel laureates during my training, and the idea of the laboratory research we did for 30 years was, could we understand the basic mechanisms driving the neurodegenerative process. This is the area, as you know, of greatest biomedical therapeutic failure. As some people say, everyone knows a cancer survivor, no one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. If you go to your doctor and he tells you or she tells you you have Alzheimer's, ALS, Lewy body disease, frontotemporal dementia, PSP, CBD, just go right down the list. It's a death sentence. That's all there is. And so it always bothered me as a neurologist. Why can't we treat these people? You know, so my laboratory work focused on, and we published over 230 papers on what drives the process. And I have to say, I was shocked when we finally kind of got to the point, oh, that we never thought that this was. So about 25 years ago, when we were starting out some of the early days in the lab, my wife, who's an integrative physician, said to me, you know, Whatever you guys find, it's going to have something to do with the what you eat and the way you sleep and all the basics. And I went, no, 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 no. We're <laughs> going to find one protein, one domain with a misfold. We're going to get one uh, molecule drug that's going to fix that and everyone's going to be cured. 
No, I should have listened to her 25 years ago because she was absolutely right. So here's what we found, what was fascinating to me. When you get Alzheimer's, what happens is you have this amazing plasticity network in your brain. As you know, you have about 500 trillion synapses in your brain. It's incredible. You've got a great supercomputer inside your skull. You have a supply and a demand for that supercomputer in there. And what happens is if the supply goes down or the demand goes up, or for most of us, it's both, you have a program inside there that basically says, uh-oh, we got to pull back. We got to pull back. We got to downside. No surprise. It's just like if you have a, a very complicated company and you got less coming in and more going out, you got to downsize. That's all there is to it. So what we discovered in the lab was really interesting that there is this molecule sitting in the middle of all this, APP, which is amyloid precursor protein. It's the thing that's the parent of the amyloid that people vilify in Alzheimer's. And this thing is a fascinating molecule. When things are good, you have no inflammation, you've got enough hormonal support, nutrient support, nerve growth factor, BDNF, all these sorts of things are supporting you. You've got enough blood flow, oxygenation, all that. This thing signals, aha, things are good. You can grow, you can maintain synapses. On the other hand, when things are bad, you've got things like P. gingivalis that gets into your brain. You've got maybe Lyme disease that has gotten into your brain. You've got a leaky gut. For any of these reasons, you're, you literally flip the switch into a mode that is a protective mode. So this goes back and forth between building versus protection. And by the way, you know, this is just analogous to what happened to our country with the pandemic. We were told early 2020, there is an invader. And so what we're going to have to do is shelter in place and we're going to socially distance. And we're not going to go into work. And of course, we went into a recession. That's right. exactly what's going on in your brain. Your brain sees, literally senses these pathogens, the various inflammatory inflammagens, things that you're breathing in, toxins you're exposed to, all of these things, and says, uh-oh, I can't be building right now. I got to be protecting. So your resources are now put into protection mode. And part of that protection mode, unfortunately for us, is a downsizing. So you say, look, I can't have 500 trillion synapses, but maybe I can have 450 trillion synapses. I can do the best I can. And unfortunately, what's happened over the years is that doctors have just tried to write a prescription. And so that doesn't address the problem. So what do we do? Our brains just keep downsizing, downsizing until you can't take care of yourself and you die of Alzheimer's disease. And you know, you mentioned 101. Here's the big problem. 45 million of us currently living in the United States will die of Alzheimer's if we don't do something about it. So it dwarfs the pandemic in terms of just overall numbers so common. And so what happens is we've got to do better with prevention and with early treatment. So there you go through four phases when you get this problem, which is again, you know, so common, it's killing about 15% of the population. The good news is there's a long period where it's very easy to do a lot for it and literally fix it. You go through an asymptomatic period, which is often in your 20s and 30s, you know, we used to think of this disease when I was training as a disease of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. No, it's diagnosed in the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. 90s, but it's been going on for years by the time you get a diagnosis, which is why we can do much better now. There's some fantastic new blood tests. So everyone can know, just like in the 1950s when people said, hey, you can check your cholesterol. Yeah. So now you can check your, your where your brain stands, which is really fantastic. So that, that's the first stage is asymptomatic. The second stage is called SCI, subjective cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. You know something's not quite right. You're not remembering phone numbers the way you used to. You're not functioning at work the way you used to, but you're still able to score normally on cognitive tests. Mm -hmm. And so your doctor will tell you, you know, you're just getting a little older. No, you're, you're in the early stages of a problem that's easily fixable right now. But the good news, SCI lasts on average 10 years. Okay. So we have a huge window of opportunity to make it so that virtually nobody ever gets demented. The third stage then 
is called MCI, mild cognitive impairment. And it's it's unfortunate that they chose the term mild cognitive impairment. It's like telling someone, don't worry, you only have mildly metastatic cancer. It's right. a relatively late stage of Alzheimer's disease. And then the fourth and final stage is dementia. And that's by definition when you're losing activities of daily living. With MCI, you're scoring abnormally on cognitive tests but you still have good ADLs and you can take care of yourself and you can drive and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that fourth stage where you're now losing the ability to care for yourself. And as you know, and as everyone has seen, it really can be horrible where you know you cannot care for yourself. You can't keep your hygiene. It's just horrible. And, and it's horrible for the families and it's horrible for the patients. So very, very sad. The reality is that should virtually never happen. If you simply get evaluated, get on active prevention or earliest treatment, nobody gets it. We, we see virtually 100% of the SCI patients improve. And the MCI patients, we published a trial freely available online through Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. You can look at that. And it's 84% uh, of those people improved. When you get into the dementia phase, we do see improvements, but it's harder to get it all the way back to where you were. And you've got to do more. You've got to look because there are more things that could potentially be contributing. So that's right. why I urge everyone get in early. It's great advice. I just had my 40th birthday. And so I'm thinking about all the things I should be looking at, like getting full body MRIs or doing a full you know, blood panel. I think for a lot of us, the fear of dementia and watching loved ones go through it. You know, I lost my father-in-law to a stroke, but he had had multiple strokes and was yeah. Yeah. in a state of dementia towards the end of his life. And that's really hard to see when you used to see such a healthy, vibrant man. And yeah. so that's part of the mission of like having you on the podcast today is really diving into and understanding those stages and how we can get ahead of it. So when it comes to SCI, that's that subjective cognitive yes. impairment. I'm a mom. I have three kids under five. I have sleepless nights sometimes. I feel like I can't remember things the way that I used to. It scares me, right? I mean, I, like, I don't know the the endocrine disrupting chemicals that are in our atmosphere now and, you know, the toxins. And you mentioned these getting into the brain. I think for a lot of us, we believed that the blood-brain barrier protected us and that the brain was sterile. Can you talk a little bit about what is the things that are causing this brain inflammation and how we can start to, you know, follow your Bredesen protocol to make sure that we're preventing it if we feel like, oh, geez, well, subjectively, I feel a little bit yeah. Spacey. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's it's important. You brought up the issue of everyone gets a little brain fog at times, a little, that's basically SCI. You can get it from COVID. Uh, I know my wife and I both got COVID in 2021 and she's noticed, wait a minute, things aren't you know quite right here. So mm -hmm. what we want to distinguish is, is this an Alzheimer related? Is this very early Alzheimer's? And this is, again, when you think about it, everything changes you realize it's not something to be afraid of. I mean, you, you mentioned you just turned 40. You're a youngster. I, I just turned <laughs> 71. So in my generation, that was the biggest fear, that you would <laughs> develop dementia and you would lose your marbles, as it were, all that. Yeah. In your generation, and my da our daughters are both in their 30s, they don't have to worry about this disease. For the first generation, you guys are fine. You don't have to worry. So if you want to know, is my brain fog related to one thing or another, check your PTAL 181 easy to do. Everybody should know that. If your PTAU 181 is good, it's less than 0.95, your brain fog is not Alzheimer related. Your brain fog is something else. But the other thing to remember, years ago, they said, oh, you have diabetes or you don't have diabetes. Then they realized, right. wait a minute, there's pre-diabetes, there's pre-pre-diabetes. And now we realize this is something you can deal with, with appropriate diet, with appropriate exercise. You don't need to get type 2 diabetes. And how do you feel when you get, you've got that early feeling? Oh, yeah, you might have gained a few pounds. You might have a little carb craving. You might be a little sluggish. But that's not a terminal illness. You can fix all that. And that's the same way it is now. Hard to believe, but that's the way we have to think about Alzheimer's. Oh, things aren't quite what they were. I've probably got a little inflammation. I can fix that. We've got a protocol that works exceedingly well to do that. Now, you asked, how do you get that inflammation? That's a fantastic question. I thought the same thing, that, hey, the blood-brain barrier is going to help you out, right? 
wrong, it turns out. So here's a very interesting uh, study that was published about a year and a half ago where a group was saying, yeah, let, let's see how long the blood-brain barrier can keep out something we're exposed to every day. So they said, okay, we're going to inject some candida into the bloodstream of a rodent. And just, they have very good blood-brain barriers, just as humans do. And let's see, it could be weeks, it could be months. The answer was, how long did it keep it out of the brain? About five minutes. So what happens is many of these things have ways to get into the brain. And when you can then go to what do the neuropathologists find, when the neuropathologists look at the brain of someone with Alzheimer's, guess what they find? They find fungi in there. They find P. gingivalis from the mouth. They find T. denticola from the mouth. They find things like spirochetes, like Lyme disease and things like that. Herpes simplex is another common one. So the reality is, that we have to kind of change our view of what Alzheimer's is because it's something where you're just responding to these insults and you're responding actually in a you know physiological way. The problem is that you're not fixing the problem. You're just trying to throw a drug at it, which doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And so you're not actually getting at the root cause of what are the things that are driving this. And so what we do in our protocol is to start by looking at all the things. We initially identified 36 things, which is why we told people 36 holes in your roof. You got to see which ones are open. Then you got to fix those. We now know that there are several more, but the good news is it's not thousands, Mm -hmm. it's dozens. So Mm -hmm. you can look to see, is this coming from my oral microbiome? Mm -hmm. Is this coming from my sinuses? Is this coming from a leaky gut? Is this coming from sleep apnea that I wasn't aware of? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are all sorts of things, and you can look at these. That's the great news. And then you can actually follow your PTAL as it gets better, as it comes back to normal. So we have the ability to look at this in a way we never have had before and the ability to fix it in a way that we never have before so that you can truly say to your listeners that Alzheimer's is now optional. As long as you don't wait until you know end stage, then it's much tougher. And unfortunately, you know, many people do wait because they're told by their physicians nothing can be done. So it's, you know, and they're told it's normal aging. We had a guy recently where, I mean, he had already into the fourth phase of dementia, went in to get evaluated by his doctor who told him, yeah, it's normal aging. This is just what happens as you age. No, this guy had very significant cognitive decline. So you don't want to wait for that. SCI or prevention, those are the times to get it. Those are the best times. This episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth. When we moved Bash into his big boy bed, we gave the Cozy Earth bedding a try. Chris and I were so obsessed with the feel, we found ourselves snuggling in his bed more and decided that we had to get a set for every bed in our house. These are by far the most comfortable and luxurious sheets I've ever slept in. And what I especially love about them is that they are made with ethically sourced viscose from bamboo and their bedding is naturally breathable and temperature regulating to keep you comfortable all night long. They offer a variety of color options like white, oat, driftwood, walnut, stone, Pacific blue, and some other new colors so you can create the calming vibe you love. And their products come with a 10-year warranty because they are that focused on quality. They are a must-try for anyone seeking ultimate sleep experience. Please trust me on this one. There's a reason they have thousands of five-star reviews and have been featured on Oprah's favorite things list multiple years in a row. So if you're looking for the perfect holiday gift this season, even if that's for yourself, give the gift of good night's rest with Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is giving you guys a major deal and has an exclusive offer for our listeners today. 35% off site-wide when you use the code BEWELL. I'm so glad I got these sheets for our new house and I know you'll love them too. I want to take a break from the podcast right now and I want to give you a gift. And I want to do that to thank you for being a listener. I put my heart and soul into this podcast. I love interviewing today's experts, researchers, MDs, psychologists, sleep trainers, you name it. I just, I hope you feel inspired to take care of yourselves and your families. And I just want to thank you for for being a listener and hanging out with me. So the code podcast 10 is going to give you a one-time $10 off code at kellylevesque.com, your next order of protein powder. You can either use that on my grass-fed beef isolate protein or on my new vegan chocho bean protein. Now, here's what I love about my protein powders. 
It's three ingredients or less. So we don't use fillers, emulsifiers, no fortified vitamins or minerals. It's easy to digest and naturally made without any enzymes or chemicals like hexane. So it's three ingredients. With my grass-fed beef isolate, that's 100% grass-fed beef, and it's made in the way that you would make bone broth. So just heat and water. And we dehydrate it, that end product to get that collagen-rich protein powder that your whole family can drink. It can be added to coffees, to smoothies, and you can get it in vanilla, chocolate, and unflavored. I wanna point out that my vanilla and chocolate is made with organic vanilla bean, organic cacao, and the only sweetener used is organic monk fruit. We don't use any maltodextrin. Our monk fruit is 100% ground monk fruit, and it's organic. And with my vegan line, I'm so excited to have launched this and to have it out into the world. It's a regenerative bean from South America called the chocho bean. And the chocho bean is the most superior plant-based protein powder you can get your hands on because not only is it a complete protein, but the process is made with heat and water only. They're crushed and soaked, and what that end product results in is an anti-nutrient-free protein powder. So you're not gonna have any lectins, phytates, or oxalates in your protein powder. Makes it super easy to digest, and it's really, really delicious and robust in cooking as well. So I love it if I want a thicker smoothie or a smoothie bowl, and I also love it in my baked goods, from my cookies to my muffins, pancakes and breads. It's the perfect protein addition. So if you wanna give either of these proteins a try or you've already been purchasing these proteins and wanna take advantage of this special deal, the code PODCAST10 is gonna get you $10 off for being a listener here at the Be Well by Kelly podcast. So head to kellylevesque.com or bewellbykelly.com Put the protein you'd like to purchase in your cart and use the code PODCAST10 for $10 off. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. So around 40 years old, you're getting that blood test to get your PTAO 181. And yep. then you're tracking that over time. And then you mentioned something earlier called a MOCA score, 30 being the best score. Can yes. you talk me through what the MOCA score is assessing for, or like how you get your score? So MOCA is short for Montreal Cognitive Assessment. And there are other ones out there. There's one called SLUMS, which is from St. Louis. And that's also a zero to 30 scale. And there's another one called Mini Mental Status. Mini Mental Status is a little less sensitive. And so that was used for people with dementia. It's quite good in that range. Whereas mm -hmm. MOCA was designed for people with MCI. But again, so it's not so great for SCI. Mm -hmm. But MOCA goes from zero to 30. And most people, they say that normal is 26 to 30, but most people will score 28, 29, or 30. What it tests for is it tries to sample different regions of the brain that will change with cognitive decline. So no surprise, part of it is about memory. So it asks mm -hmm. you to remember uh, five objects. Then it looks at clock drawing. And surprisingly, clock drawing is actually something that is abnormal fairly early in Alzheimer's disease, in part because you have problems with your parietal lobe. When you have Alzheimer's, you actually see on a PET scan exactly what we have been talking about. Your glucose utilization is reduced in your temporal lobe and your parietal lobe. So you're losing these regions of the brain, the temporal lobe more associated with memory, parietal lobe more associated with things like planning, but also things like calculation and reading and expressing yourself and things like that. These are all things that are important for the parietal lobe. So those are the things that tend to go. And so with the MOCA, they're looking at that. They're looking at your ability to switch sets, basically to plan. They're looking at your ability to repeat sentences, to recognize objects, to know where you are, orientation. So these are all fairly basic things that most of us you know, will get the vast majority of these things correct. So when you have someone who's already down at 25, 24, that's already significant MCI for most people. And then when you get down below, typically is the, the 19 to 22 is the overlap between MCI and dementia. When you're down in the teens, um, you have dementia. And then yeah. we, we see people who are even at zero, who cannot do anything on that test, who still get some improvement with doing the right things, but they typically don't come all the way back. So what I'd love to do in our research is get people back from zero to 30. What we have seen is we've seen people go from 18 to a perfect 30. We've yeah. seen people go from zero to nine, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they get back the ability to be continent, 
to speak, to interact with people. I mean, it's dramatic in terms of their subjective, their symptoms. Um, It's just that on the numbers, they're still missing a lot of that on the MOCA test. So that's what the MOCA is all about. But that independence is so critically important when you're in those late phases of dementia. You talked about glucose utilization or the use, and that's that's related to the energetics of the brain yes. and the, uh, that you were talking about. Obviously, we need lots of mitochondria, and there's so many mitochondria in the brain and lots of energy there. So it makes me question if someone has a glucose issue and they are probably presenting with insulin resistance or glucose dysregulation, and if you were checking their blood sugar, could they use ketones to bypass that? Could they use healthy fats to bypass that? Can we get other substrates of energy like ketones to the brain to see improvements or put them on that type of a diet? Absolutely. And that's such a good point. And one that unfortunately, again, physicians tend to ignore. Professor Stephen Kinane from Canada showed that there is an energetic gap, just as you were alluding to, in your brain when you are developing cognitive decline. And what's your, as you know, your brain can only metabolize two things. It's mm-hmm. glucose, it's ketones. Mm-hmm. What happens, unfortunately, as we get a little older, we lose the ability for both So when I see patients, I mean, this is an energetic emergency. We need to get back the ability to use glucose, which means making them insulin sensitive again, but we also need to get them ketones. So we usually start by giving some exogenous ketones, Mm -hmm. which he also did in his trials and showed clearly you could bridge that energetic gap with ketones. Most of it, not 100% of it, but most of it. Mm -hmm. So suddenly people are awake again, like, whoa, wait a minute, I've got more energy. (laughs) And And they're better with their thinking. They're better with their focus. They're better with their memory. Mm -hmm. So you want to get them to do both. So what we want to do is we want to make them insulin sensitive, which means a mildly ketogenic diet, typically a low carb diet. So it's typically a high good fats, intermediate protein, low carb, and zero simple carb diet. So this is a critical piece, and we use something we call KetoFlex 12-3 because Mm -hmm. it's a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. It's not the old-fashioned, eat a bunch of sausage and stuff, ketogenic diet. This is a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. Now, there's an interesting paradox here. What we discovered is that this disease is a network insufficiency. You're insufficient because you don't have the supply of the energetics and you've got too much demand with the inflammation. So mm-hmm. we've got to fix that. But at the same time, it is an, it's a network insufficiency that was often born of excess, too many carbs, processed food, mm-hmm. too much sugar. And in fact, there's a nice study just published by Professor Rick Johnson from University of Colorado. And actually, both David Perlmutter and I were co-authors on that study, but this is really Rick's uh, long-term research showing that if you line up what changes in your brain when you eat fructose with what changes in your brain in Alzheimer's, they line up almost perfectly. It's amazing how important fructose is and the changes that it renders in your metabolism with respect to what's going on with Alzheimer's. So with glucose, That is another way, as he points out, to get into that same pathway, unfortunately. And then interestingly, high salt diets are another way to trigger that same. Your uric acid goes up, you you have more fructose metabolism. And what that does is the fructose metabolism is saying, aha, it's fall, winter is coming. We're going to deposit fat and we're now going to reduce your ATP about 15% or so. Well, reducing your energetics is the last thing that you want when you're struggling with cognitive decline. So we want to boost your energetics back up, which means ketones and which means a ketogenic diet. But be careful because you don't want to fast too long. In the long run, you'll want to have periods of fasting 12, 14, 16 hours. But early on, especially if you're already frail, You've got to stay away from that because that can actually, as you can imagine, make you worse. So on the one hand, we're trying to get you to be sensitive to uh, insulin, glucose and uh, insulin regulation sensitive. On the other hand, we're trying not to drive you into a lower energetic state. Right. These natural mechanisms that our body has to preserve our life and longevity and keep us around 
can actually end up backfiring for a lot of us in a world of excess in regards to food like fructose. Now, when you talk about an excess in those processed carbohydrates, the simple carbohydrates, the excess in sugar, whether it's fructose or glucose, can you give me an example of what a healthy intake of foods that would have maybe salt and glucose and fructose are versus what might be leading us down the road to dementia. I will preface this with the fact that I I promote that my clients drink smoothies, but I make a, a very big point to explain that even a whole bunch of fruit with fruit juice blended up is, is just a bunch of sugar versus something that is more balanced with healthy fats, nuts, fibers, things that would really support blood sugar balance. Because For the most part, I'm all about blood sugar balance and insulin sensitivity with my clients and the families I work with. And and that's just like my my little drum I'm beating over here. (laughs) But I want people to have an idea not be afraid of, you you said it was a plant-forward ketogenic diet. So maybe give me an example of what day in the life of someone eating following your protocol would look like. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. we, We are descended from frugivores. So, um, you know, it, it is appropriate for us to eat fruit. And, and Rick goes to great lengths also to say, look, it's not about stopping eating fruit. Fruit's great. And especially if you include the fiber, all that, that's fantastic. It's still very good for your glucose and your fructose. Uh, the issue is things like high fructose corn syrup, where you're just mm-hmm. getting fructose with nothing else. And he pointed out that where this happens uh, in, in nature is toward the fall where you'll have apes eating 200 pieces of fruit. That's mm-hmm. the sort of thing where you're talking about you know, high fructose. And we get it, of course, as in processed foods with this high fructose corn syrup, for example. So these are the problems. You know, having an apple, uh, ha- having an orange, think that that's great. You know, and you've yeah. got fiber, with, you've got all sorts of phytonutrients with that as well. So we, we worked with Nutrition for Longevity, the company founded by Walter Longo and Jennifer Maynard, um, to develop KetoFlex 12.3 so people can actually get it easily. You can actually order KetoFlex123.com. Uh, you can actually get these. Very easy to do. But typically what it is, it is a relatively high good fats diet around 65-70%. As I mentioned, intermediate protein, typically 20%, and low carbs, typically 10%. It's vegetables, salads you know, with uh, oil, typically oil and vinegar, some pastured eggs, some pastured chicken. And so you can, if you want to be a vegetarian, no problem. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be more of flexitarian, this is why we call it Keto Flex 12.3. Yes, have some wonderful wild caught fish, not mm-hmm. farmed fish, too many toxins in farm fish. And you don't want to have, of course, you don't want to have high mercury fish, mm-hmm. the, you know, the tuna and the shark and things like that. Mm-hmm. You want to have the low mercury fish, wild caught, things like smash fish, Salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. Those are the smash fish. So if you eat this KetoFlex 12-3 diet, you're going to be eating some fish. You're going to be having some pastured eggs. You're going to be having some grass-fed beef. You're going to be having some pastured chicken. You're going to be having um, a lot of salads. You're going to be having a, a lot of vegetables. Um, and you're going to be having a lot of uh, olive oil, uh, EVOO, which is, again, very good. Very interesting if you look at Again, looking at the roots of what Alzheimer's is all about, part of this, just as you said, it's about fructose, it's about glucose balance, it's about the way you're handling glucose, which is why so many of us are developing Alzheimer's, because Mm -hmm. we are doing the wrong things when it comes to simple carbs. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, it's also about when you make this amyloid that collects in the brains, it's the hallmark of uh, Alzheimer's disease. This stuff is an antimicrobial, it is part of your innate immune system. And interestingly, it's part of the memory of your innate immune system. So anything you do to trigger this, eating a lot of saturated fats, eating a lot of inflammatory carbs will increase your production of this amyloid. It's literally there to fight off. As I said earlier, your brain is deciding, uh-oh, I can't build. I got to protect um, and again, you you can you can't put your resources into both building and protecting. It's one or the other. So this is putting you into a protective downsizing mode when you are developing Alzheimer's. So uh, this stuff is there in response to a high saturated fats diet. Now, some saturated fats fine. It's this combination. You know, as Mark Hyman has always pointed out, 
uh, what we used to call the Burfuda Triangle. So, the, you know, if you have the combination of saturated fats, very little fiber, and high simple carbs, you know, that is a very bad way to live. So this is avoiding that. This is a high fiber, high phytonutrient, supporting your gut, giving you appropriate probiotics and prebiotic fiber. Um, so all of these things are very helpful. And it's very interesting to me that for so many of us as neurologists and neuroscientists, we've gone after the idea of just get a drug that's going to suck out the amyloid for you, from your brain. And that's not the problem. That's not what's going on. You're making it appropriately because your brain is under assault by these various things. So what we want to do is find out because it's different for each person. Some people, and we find typically 10 or 15 different contributors. That's the other thing that doctors have missed. They're looking for one thing that causes this. It's typically not one thing. Typically, we'll have a person who has you know, a HOMA IR, so they've got insulin resistance, HOMA IR of two or three, so they're mm -hmm. already into insulin resistance. They might even have prediabetes. Mm -hmm. They may have an HSCRP of two or three, so they may, they're already now getting some systemic inflammation. Mm -hmm. They may now also, as part of metabolic syndrome, have a triglyceride to HDL ratio that's two or two and a half. These are inflamed people who already have lipid abnormalities. Mm -hmm. This is the classical uh, metabolic syndrome that so many of us suffer from, and many of us don't even realize it. And so then we see a high cholesterol and say, oh, it's the high cholesterol. I better get on a statin. No, it's an overall metabolic change that is really responding to damage to your endothelial cells. And so we want to get rid of that. We want to put you in a more physiologically balanced state. And by the way, when we have people on the protocol that we've developed, which we call RECODE for reversal of cognitive decline, they often get off their antihypertensives. They don't need them anymore. They get off their statins. They don't need them anymore. And they get off their anti-diabetes drugs because they don't need them anymore because they're actually now doing the right thing. And of course, part of this is healing your gut. This is a huge issue and so many of us have problems with leaky gut. Another big one being SIBO, which has come out as an, another common contributor. So this is really about changing the support that is needed for your brain and getting you back to being physiological. You make such a good point about people looking at their blood tests like a red flag. If you have a problem with your glucose metabolism, if you have a high A1C, or if you have a bad cholesterol ratio as not only hey, there might be something up with this one specific part of my body, but that we all, every single part and network of your brain and your body is interconnected and affecting one another. This episode is sponsored by Masterclass. I'm constantly wanting to learn more, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast. But I've been especially loving Masterclass lately because I can learn from the best of the best anytime, anywhere, and at my own pace. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably heard me talk about how it's been a major goal of mine to have my own garden one day, and this year it finally happened. I really want the boys to be able to see how food is grown and to join me in picking and tending to our veggies, herbs for dinner, salads, all the good stuff. The key is learning to keep those veggies and herbs alive, which is why I'm so glad I was able to take Ron Finley's class where I learned how to grow and maintain my garden as well as how to increase the production. His lesson on propagation is mind-blowing. And there's other instructors that I've enjoyed listening to, like Sarah Blakely's class on entrepreneurship, Matthew Walker's class on sleep, and James Clear's class on building habits that meet your goals. I've had James and many others on the podcast, and I still found so much value in these classes. With over 180 classes to choose from and new classes added every single month, there really is something for everyone. And with the holidays approaching, I think Masterclass would be a meaningful gift this season for you or anyone on your list because both of you can learn from the best of the best, from leadership to effective communication to cooking. Whether you're watching Masterclass on TV, listening in audio mode, in the app or on their site, the quality speaks for itself. Plus, how much would it cost to take a one-on-one -on -one class with one of these experts? A whole lot. But with a Masterclass annual membership, it's $10 a month. So this holiday season, give one annual membership and get one for free at masterclass.com slash be well. Right now you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash be well. Masterclass.com slash be well. Offer terms apply.
You mentioned C-reactive protein or HCRP. Are there any other inflammatory markers that you recommend that people call for earlier on, maybe in their 20s and 30s when they get their regular Quest Labs yearly? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, There are other ones. Some people like to look at uh, IL-6 or tumor necrosis factor, and there are others. Probably the best thing at the moment, people use things like SED rate as well, but that's not terribly sensitive. A simple way is just your... Uh, your albumin to globulin ratio, which you want to see up at you know 1.8. That's kind of the old-fashioned way uh, to look at it. And I do think there will be better and better things coming out because you're absolutely right. HSCRP, we see people where it's high, very clearly they are systemically inflamed, but we see others where it's normal. And yet it's mm-hmm. clear that they've got some inflammatory processes going on. So I think that there will, you know, we'll see more and more coming out that that people will use. Some people like to use things like neopterin and things like that. So there, there are other things you can look at, but it's looking at the overall picture that's so helpful and not going with this idea, as you alluded to, just saying, oh, high cholesterol, okay, statins. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute, what's the overall picture here? Why did this happen? For so many of us, the classic thing has been that we have part or all of metabolic syndrome. And so we have the dyslipidemia, we go on a statin, we have the hypertension, we go on an antihypertensive. Instead of saying, why do we have the hypertension? We have some extra body fat. Okay, you better get on a diet and that that doesn't work. Now you're eating foods. So you want to you eat those low fat foods, um, which now just gives you more carbs. So right. I think part of the problem has been that this is just going about things in a non-physiological way. Right. So- It's interesting to me because it almost feels like an autoimmune disease of the brain. Like your body is trying to protect itself. So it's like all the amyloid plaque is being produced, but really that production is actually breaking down your brain in the same way that an autoimmune disease inside your body is sort of out of control on a specific organ. You know, it's really interesting that you brought that term up because people have argued about this back and forth. And and here's the trick about this which is to me at least absolutely fascinating. So if you, as you know, when you get COVID, you, you, when you get any infection, mm-hmm. you have your innate system. That's the early responder, the evolutionarily older part. It's the nonspecific. It says, Kelly, something's wrong, typically through your toll-like receptors. And so you have a general response with inflammation. Then of mm-hmm. course, you are taking these pathogens, you're phagocytosing them, you're presenting them as antigens, and now you're making that secondary adaptive response. And what happens is the adaptive response comes out and now is really focused on what the pathogen is. And it turned, part of its job is to turn down the inflammation, the innate response. Now, as you mentioned, with autoimmunity, that's really about the adaptive going beyond its usual job. But in COVID and in Alzheimer's, It's more about the innate system. Yes, we do see people sometimes with autoantibodies, but a bigger problem is they never get to that stage. So what happens when you get COVID, as you know, you get this innate response and you're incapable of clearing this if you've got a lot. And this is why people die of cytokine storm. You have this massive cytokine release that is trying to get you ahead of this. And this is in part actually because COVID in its genetics has the ability to prevent you from making an early response, things like your interferon. So what happens is when you see it, it's relatively late. And this is why people died of cytokine storm. Now in Alzheimer's, the same thing happens in that you've got the innate system activated, but your adaptive system hasn't cleared, whether it's mycotoxins, whether it's things in your brain, so you know whether it's various pathogens within the brain, whatever it is, So you continue to make that amyloid as part of the innate system. And instead of dying of cytokine storm within a few days, you die of cytokine drizzle within years. And that is the big problem. Now, you're right. Some people will succeed in making that adaptive response. And sometimes they do get maladaptive response, which is autoimmunity. But if they're able to get that response and then clear it, things tend to get better. That's what we want to help them to do. You're right, though. You can broaden that response so that you get more autoantibodies just by being deficient in zinc, for example. Zinc helps you focus down those and give you a nice spike on the thing, the target that you're going after. But for most people with Alzheimer's, it's innate ahead of adaptive. So if I were to give an analogy, then it'd be like, your brain is on fire with inflammation. 
And you need firefighters, which is your energy, and you need hoses full of water, which is the stuff that's fighting that inflammation to keep this at bay because it's in more of a, that immediate re- reaction that is out of control. Yes. And then the key thing is your firefighters can't stay there for years. They got right. a certain amount of water. So while they're fighting it, you yes. want to find out what's there. Why did the fire start? Because if you've got a bunch of arsonists in town, they're starting mm-hmm. fires everywhere. And at some yeah. point, you're just not going to be able to contain them. Right. So what we have to do is while you're getting that, while you're getting back to physiological, you now want to see what caused it. If you've got poor dentition, some dental siding, or you're going to use some oral probiotics, if you've got a leaky gut, you need to heal that leaky gut, whether you like to do it with you know, slippery elm or you like to do it with... Uh, bone broth or whatever you like to do, you want to mm-hmm. heal that. If you've got SIBO, you want to heal that. If you like, you know, Atrantil or whatever you like to do, uh, Saccharomyces boulardii, whatever you like to do for your gut issues, you want to heal those. Otherwise, the fires are just going to keep starting. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because a leaky gut Oral microbiome issues, these are all like ways that toxins and viruses and pathogens are getting into our circulation and then ending up passing through the blood-brain barrier to our brain. So when it comes to someone who maybe has a specific type of autoimmune disease like eczema, or you can see that their body has been fighting some type of systemic inflammation or disease state, how does that increase our rate of Alzheimer's. And then a follow-up question to that, why are women getting it two thirds of the time and men only get it a third of the time? Yeah, great point. So this is what we studied in the lab for so many years. If you look at the amyloid precursor protein, it is cut in one of two ways. When things are good, it's cut at a single site that gives you two things, one for outside the cell, one for inside the cell called SAPP-alpha and alpha-CTF that are literally signaling to your cells, things are good, go ahead and make synapses. Mm -hmm. And you can trace, for example, estradiol, which of course affects hundreds of genes, enters the nucleus after it binds to its receptor, affects hundreds of genes. And one of the genes that's actually turned on is the one that cuts at that single site, which is called the alpha-secretase. On the other hand, when things are bad, again, you can trace the molecular pathways from NF-kappa B. So anything that drives inflammation. Now, NF-kappa B has impacts hundreds of genes as well. And two of those are the ones that cut at the sites that are going to give you the bad guys, you know, on the bad side to say, mm-hmm. and again, it's it's not really bad. It's saying I'm responding to trauma and to inflammation and to insults. And so that response is, I'm going to downsize. I'm going to protect your brain. I'm going to kill the pathogens. And that is triggered. So anything that is triggering these molecular pathways is driving you into this state. And this is why I think, you know, we've heard so much about Alzheimer's. Oh, it's just you've got amyloid collected in your brain, so it's going to give you Alzheimer's. Well, amyloid, again, it's it's about the innate immune system. It's a little bit like a long-acting cytokine. So sure, it's part of the story but it's part of a much bigger story. And then you brought up about why do women get it? And they no question as Maria Shriver says, this is a woman centric disease. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not clear all the reasons why, but one of the important reasons seems to be the fluctuation in hormones. Mm -hmm. So when you're a man, you go through andropause and there is a slow decline in testosterone levels and things like that. Mm -hmm. When you are a woman, you may have a more rapid change. And this is not just a notion. It's supported by data from the Mayo Clinic, where they showed that women who had oophorectomies at the age of 40 or younger, and then did not go on hormone replacement therapy, HRT, they doubled their risk for Alzheimer's. Even though the Alzheimer's wasn't diagnosed for many, many years, they doubled the risk. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's the more rapid decline in this support. Again, energetics. So anything that reduces that quickly as opposed to slowly increases your risk. The other thing that changes, as you know, the progesterone goes down. What it, one of the effects of progesterone is to improve your detox. So very important for that piece of it. And then, of course, the testosterone in women also goes down. That is another one that's important for synapses. 
And so you have this reduction in support. Now, what many people will notice, they'll go through that period where they do have a little brain fog, but then ultimately things will be okay. The key is that some of them, unfortunately, will now go into this phenomenon where they just keep responding, essentially a prionic loop sort of thing where you're now enhancing this. And this is why, okay, we can fight this. And why I think so many people like the idea of BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And of course, Dr. Anne Hathaway, Dr. Prudence Hall, uh, so many other tremendous experts in this area mm-hmm. who are getting very good results um, with their subjects and their, their women you know, who are going through menopause. And they improve their memories. They improve their cognition. They reduce the likelihood for decline. Of course, the WHI study really made it much tougher. Um, and I think, unfortunately, some of this, and, and, and Dr. Hathaway speaks uh, eloquently about this, when you really look at the data, it's really more about synthetic progestins. Um, it's not about BHRT, and so many people actually do well. So in our trial, we published a successful trial last year, We've now already started a larger randomized controlled trial at six different sites, and I'm very enthusiastic about that. And of course, BHRT is part of this. To get best outcomes with cognition, BHRT is typically included. That's great to hear. Are you still recruiting for those study? If someone is interested in in joining and they're around, is there a a website you can lead them to or are there sites that you can mention that if someone's in that area, they can go to? Yeah, just look up Dementia Reversal Trial. And you'll see the website and you'll see where the, the six sites are. Easy to uh, easy to look into that. Thank you. Now, when it comes to daily things that we can do, that we can put on our plate, that we can take or supplement with, what are sort of your best in class for really squelching the inflammation that may be happening yeah. in the brain? Yeah, great point. So we always think of, in terms of there are seven basics. And then you want to look after that at the specifics. You know, do you have undiagnosed uh, ehrlichia? Which, by the way, we see all the time. Someone's been bitten by a tick. They got treated for Lyme. Everything was great with their Lyme, but they have a co-infection from ehrlichia, anaplasma, Bartonella, Babesia. We see it all the time. And it does give you that chronic inflammation that gives you cognitive decline. So the seven basics are a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet like Ketoflex 12.3, as I mentioned, exercise. And interestingly, it's both aerobic and strength training, and they have different mechanisms, but they are, they essentially synergize to give you best outcomes in terms of brain function. And we really like EWOT. I don't know if you've ever done EWOT exercise with oxygen therapy, mm-hmm. but it gives you great blood flow and great oxygenation at the same time. People have gotten some really good results with that. Well, then the third one is sleep. And it's amazing to me how this is a whole field unto itself. Professor Matthew Walker right here at Berkeley uh, has done a great job with Why We Sleep. Very important book. Um, and the, you, know, you, you need to have seven to eight hours of good sleep at night. You need to check your REM sleep. You should have an hour and a half of REM at least. You should have an hour of deep sleep uh, at least. And you should make sure your oxygenation stays good. In a perfect world, it'd be 96 to 98 percent saturation all night. Uh, Make sure you don't have upper airway resistance. Make sure you don't have sleep apnea. Um, If you're dropping down into the low 90s or into the 80s, or even we see people into the 70s, Mm. that is not good for your brain. Um, And that's one of the contributors. So the fourth thing is stress. As long as your amygdala is like on high alert, um, in fact, you're not going to have optimal outcome. And in fact, that is, again, that's also putting your innate system on high alert, just like inflammation does. So stress can be an issue. Um, And then the fifth one is brain training. Very helpful for people. Sixth is detox, just basic detox. We are all exposed to so many more toxins than we often realize. Um, And these come in three types. It's inorganics, things like air pollution, linked very clearly to cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. Mercury, things like that, very important to know. Organics, things like formaldehyde and benzene and toluene and glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it's it's the biotoxins, things like trichothecene, mycotoxins, things like trichothecenes and, and ocratoxin A and gliotoxin and things like that, all helpful to know. And then the last one is targeted supplements. And it depends a little, you know, you can't take everything. 
Right. You want to try to take everything. So you want to look at what you need. If your homocysteine is high, you want to think about some methylfolate and methyl B12. If your vitamin D is low, you want to get some vitamin D. If your HSCRP is a little high, I tend to like resolvins. Um, those can be very, very helpful. And then you can do those for a couple of months. But then in the long run, you want to be on some omega-3s. Um, and there was some very interesting information recently on what type of omega-3 in terms of ethyl esters versus in the triglyceride form. Um, the ethyl esters are the ones that are synthetic. You have a problem with atrial fibrillation, be careful. Those can increase risk for atrial fibrillation. But groups like, for example, Nordic Naturals, I, I happen to like those. I don't work for them. I don't have, I don't get anything from them. I'm always looking for best outcomes. Um, I tend to like those and they are purified. They're not synthesized. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a good one. And then, uh, you know, energetics, increasing your NAD. And some people like nicotinamide riboside. Some people like NMN. Some people just take niacinamide. Actually, uh, uh, Dr. Mercola recommended that. It was, I think it was a good point he made. So that's another way to go. And so all of these things are critical. Ascorbate is another one, as, as Rick Johnson has pointed out, and another, another metabolic support. So there, the good news is, I was told when I was training and when I and, and during my research career, there's nothing you can do to prevent, reverse, or delay cognitive decline. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now we know the armamentarium is huge. And this idea that we're just going to shoot you up with an antibody that's going to rip out the amyloid from your blood vessels to make you have micro hemorrhages, that's not the way to go. The way to go is to understand what's driving the process and then use this tremendous armamentarium and use it in a precision fashion. So it's addressing the things. If you have HSV, one study out of Taiwan showed that just addressing this with valet cyclovir, for example, reduced risk for dementia. It fits perfectly. You're reducing that ongoing inflammation. There are so many things that can be done now that weren't even understood that these are important for cognitive decline even a decade ago. We published the first reversals back in 2014. And as I mentioned, we now have people over 10 years because the original one started in 2012 and we reported them in 2014. So uh, this is a new era. Your generation does, does not have to fear this disease the way my generation had to. Well, I feel like you are a beacon of hope for so many of us and so many of us and our families that have been affected by this disease to know that we have and can harness the power of fighting this inflammation and taking a look at where we are in our early age, like 20s, 30s, 40s, looking out for those red flags on our blood tests and really to follow your protocol. If someone wanted to, to learn and the Bredesen protocol and follow along, where would you recommend they find that? I know you're also the author of The End of Alzheimer's, the first program to prevent and reverse cognitive decline and the End of Alzheimer's program. So I, I want people who have been affected by this disease, who are, who are fearful of it or want to just yeah. do the due diligence to check in on themselves and look for any issues that may be creating inflammation in their body. I mean, I can think about like tooth infections or mm -hmm. anything like that, like to, to handle it now and be motivated to do that so that they don't see this cognitive decline later in life. Yeah, such a good point. And I hope that, you know, we'll get to a point where everybody's doing that. So you can look at Recode 2.0 training. Uh, and we've trained over 2,000 physicians and other healthcare practitioners, all sorts of people, health coaches, neuropsychologists, nurse practitioners, um, on and on and on. Um, and you can look at this. And as you mentioned, you can also look at the books. So this is easily available. Uh, you go just look up Recode 2.0 training. Uh, we've trained people in 10 different countries. So you know, all over the place. And again, my hope is that we really can reduce the global burden of dementia. And I should add, we have we're just establishing uh, the first precision medicine program for all neurodegenerative diseases. And this is at the Pacific Neuroscience Institute in Santa Monica, along with the, the head of the institute, Dr. Dan Kelly, and the head of Pacific Brain uh, Health Center, Dr. David Merrill. So very excited about working with them. And for the first time, there will be a place where people with all sorts of neurodegenerative diseases can come and get a more complete evaluation and to get on active treatment that can actually offer hope for the first time. 
It's so wonderful, the work that you're doing. And I can't thank you enough for donating your time to this. I know you're off to a conference this weekend and you're just doing such great work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Where can people follow you along online to learn more about you and and what you're doing and, and where they can seek help? Yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly. So they can see um, on uh, Facebook, uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, also uh, same for Instagram, Twitter, um, all of those. Wonderful. We'll link all of the websites you shared in the show notes. We'll make sure people have access to everything. I can't thank you enough. If you or your family has been affected by Alzheimer's or cognitive decline, please, please, please follow Dr. Dale Bredesen. He is the best of the best. And it was just such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 